Welcome to a very special episode of Talking Payroll. My name is Tracy Angwin. In this episode, I speak with Linda McAllari-Smith. Linda is the Executive Director for Compliance and Enforcement at the Fair Work Ombudsman. Essentially, it's Linda's role to ensure that employers are working in compliance with the Fair Work Act, and she's got a team of inspectors who investigate and resolve breaches of that act, which could result ultimately in criminal or civil penalties. Linda first started in the policy area of the Fair Work Ombudsman. She's been the Executive Director of Education and Communication before moving into compliance and enforcement. We talk about a lot of things in this episode. We talk about awards, accessorial liability, common errors seen at the Fair Work Ombudsman, litigation, record keeping, unions. We cover a lot of ground. This is an absolute not to be missed episode for all employers and payroll professionals. Linda is honest and open about her compliance role and talks about what it looks like when employers do the right thing in engaging the Fair Work Ombudsman and also some tips and tricks of things that they absolutely won't tolerate. Enjoy this conversation that I had with Linda McAllari-Smith. So Linda, welcome to the Talking Payroll podcast. Thank you, Tracy. Now you've been at the Fair Work Ombudsman now for, in terms of my calculations, for over 11 years, both in policy, education and compliance enforcement. Just for context for our listeners, can you tell me a little bit about what you do now and how you actually uh, got to your current role as Executive Director for Compliance and Enforcement at the Fair Work Ombudsman? Certainly, Tracy. I'm currently, as you said, Executive Director of Compliance Enforcement for the Fair Work Ombudsman, which is effectively Australia's workplace regulator. Uh, I lead the large sort of number of inspectors, Fair Work inspectors, who we have working across the country from a compliance and enforcement perspective. I've worn a number of different hats in my different roles throughout the Fair Work Ombudsman and its predecessors, which included leading previously our proactive compliance and education area, which was focused on assisting employees and businesses and particularly small businesses understand what their rights and obligations were and make their workplace relations practices in their own workplaces as uh, seamless as possible. And, you know, in a previous life, I was a commercial litigator in in private practice, and I've also grown up in a small business household, so I've, I've got a, a range of different uh, perspectives on, on how these sorts of issues around workplace relations can play out in, in the real world, so to speak. It's so interesting, and it's such an interesting topic, I think, for anyone, not just in the payroll industry, but anyone who's got anything to do with employment, you know, just making sure that their employees are paid in accordance with legislation. What are the most common genuine mistakes that you see and what can employers do to avoid these? Oh, and I, I, that you, your point's an excellent one, Tracy. Most of the mistakes which we come across here at the Fair Work Ombudsman and we take around 400,000 phone calls a year from employees and employers asking for help in navigating the system and we have around 16 million visitors to our website at fairwork.gov.au and and by and large the mistakes that we see are genuine mistakes. So um, mistakes which people have made particularly around record keeping. Um, We talk about record keeping as being a foundation of good compliance and good practice in a business and and that goes beyond workplace relations compliance. Uh, Being thoughtful about how you're choosing to run your business or you're advising your clients on how to run their businesses and being thoughtful about how you're managing cash flow and expenses in and expenses out is uh, is an important part of 
running running a business um, and software options these days are just making that easier and easier and so record keeping is, is a very common record keeping failings would be a common area that we would see issues with and, and that can be in a range of ways sometimes it's not keeping any records at all sometimes it's keeping records and not for the right period of time so then throwing them out before they should uh, or otherwise not keeping records in in the right form and and I'm not so much talking about little um, issues around the edges of the form of record keeping but around sort of basics around what hours people are working, what you're paying, um, how you're paying people and that that sort of thing. The other thing that people can um, run into issues with is understanding which industrial instrument covers their employees. And we see not only under the modern award framework, but we've dealt with organisations who have their own enterprise agreement who don't aren't fully complying with their own enterprise agreement. Uh, so, mm. so, so often it's staying contemporary and up to date in terms of what the current requirements are and applying that to your, your current workforce and particularly staff are, you've got a junior workforce and they're getting older well generally speaking until they're about 18 or 21 depending on the instrument they would get a pay increment each year or if you've got staff moving into different roles uh, I think it gets summed up by being stepping back and being thoughtful about what should my employees or my clients' employees being paid and how comfortable and confident I am that I know the right answer to that question. Mm, okay. I mean, that's, it's really interesting because we see that a lot as well, particularly when we go and do a consulting assignment and also from supporting our members and, and training those working in payroll that what we see is that most people who don't actually work in the payroll function completely underestimate the knowledge that's actually required to manage a compliant payroll. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of people think that payroll is just about the calculations that happen in the payroll system. But, you know, as I often say, that the real expertise that's needed is in all the decisions that need to be taken before the data even gets to payroll. In, in your experience, how important is that payroll expertise and having that in-house or, you know, or working with an outsourced provider that has got those, that expertise? Yeah, the expertise and experience and understanding the payroll is absolutely critical and, and I'm a big advocate for saying that payment of employees through a payroll function is far more than data entry or a financial transaction and the data that goes into the system is only as good, the data that comes out of the system and into people's bank accounts is only as good as the data that get, goes in at the front end. So um, understanding why the certain figures are being recorded and why um, a certain person is entitled to be or being paid, what they're being paid for a particular day of the week, particular hour, for example, um, it requires a high level of expertise and it requires a level of thoughtfulness um, around what your employees or your clients' employers are covered by as well. One issue that uh, we're seeing a bit at the moment is, for example, uh, part-timers under a number of different modern awards or enterprise agreements where a part-timer works more than their normal hours as a part-timer but less than a full-timer, um, often under an industrial instrument, mm -hmm. they would be titled to overtime for hours that they've worked in excess of their own part-time agreement. Now, that's not for every case, but in, in quite a few cases that is true. And what we're sometimes seeing is that the, the recording of the hours at a local level, I guess, at a, where the person's actually doing their work, um, the fact that the person's working more than their agreed part-time agreement hours isn't being captured and the, there's just a sum total of the hours are being sent through the payroll. So overtime's not being paid. 
uh, and it's not being not being triggered. So mm-hmm. understanding that, for example, what, what instrument covers my employees or my clients' employees, uh, what are the sort of requirements that come into play, um, are, are part-timers who work in excess of their hours, for example, entitled to, to overtime? These are really fundamental questions that if businesses get wrong, the scale of the non-compliance can be quite great when you magnify the number of employees and you know, pay periods by weeks and sometimes even years. Um, and, and I think mm-hmm. it comes back to as well, part of it is the best asset that any company can have is, is their employee. Because that, that part-timer issue is is huge and, and we see a lot of it as well. And there's m- many payroll compliance stories or non-compliance stories and lots of them get into the papers, especially when it comes to those types of underpayments and particularly around those assumptions that part-timers don't get overtime or any penalties uh, until they're at a 30, uh, worked 38 hours. Um, I mean, just this year we've seen, you know, big companies and big underpayments um, in the press, you know, Rockpool, Lush, Swinburne University, Caltex, uh, Red Cross, Super Retail Group, Domino's, and even uh, Morris Blackburn, uh, which I thought was an interesting one. Generally, when these things do get in the press, I mean, the employer's first port of call is to blame the payroll system. It seems to be the excuse of choice uh, for why these things happen. And I'm not sure I buy that in, in its entirety. Um, you know, these systems might have been set up years earlier and, and never revisited, and, and clearly there was no ongoing process to check the basis of how employees were being paid. So you get these underpayments, which can be quite material if they go on for years and years. How does the Fair Work Ombudsman feel about uh, this finger pointing to the software provider or the payroll yes, service provider. In terms of how these things, how I'm seeing these things um, play out in practice, is that where we see sort of errors being made at a large scale and, and often with, with bigger organisations, the impact of the non-compliance is magnified by the scale of the number of employees. So the underpayments can be quite significant, and it, it's probably best summed up as. Uh, a weakness in internal corporate governance and and you're exactly right in conversations that we have with a whole range of parties and stakeholders who have an interest in this space um, conversations can be had around well you know who's what what area was responsible for ensuring compliance with this and in some instances you'll have human resources will say well it was payroll or finance um, and finance and payroll will say, well, you know, it was the people branch or the people team whose job was to tell us. And my overarching observation would be the accountability is not clear, is that there's confusion internally as to who's responsible. Mm-hmm. Um, not responsible for transferring the money into people's bank accounts, because that's, that's pretty straightforward, but making sure that it's the right amount of money in the... In, in the instances of non-compliance that I'm concerned, there tends to be ambiguity about who's responsible uh, internally, be it a team and or individuals, for being accountable for making sure that people are getting paid properly. And sometimes this can come from a bit of a set and forget men- mentality and it often comes down to what you touched on before about the experience and expertise of payroll and, you know, if you have a new person coming into a payroll team, for example, or you're taking on a new client and you're given a bunch of information about how people are paid, is anyone applying any critical analysis to whether or not that's right? Because if someone's made a mistake at some point, if everyone just keeps doing what we've always done, um, that mistake just keeps getting replicated and, as I said before, the scale and quantum impact of the underpayment just becomes quite significantly magnified for larger larger organisations. Um, and I think it's the mm. focusing on the fact that payroll 
um, the, the service providing of payroll provides a critical support for a business and support to businesses around not only in terms of ensuring people get paid properly, but our payroll can be either internal or as an external company uh, provider, a, a valuable um, provider of strategic and business advice. It helps the company make good choices about not only about how they employ their current staff, but whether or not they can afford and or want to grow their business to extend the workforce. So I think the um, the expertise required to give life to some of these requirements can be quite deep. And some of the things that we would say over the time is practices passed over, um, passed on from time to time from person, people to people in new roles and or a lack of anybody sitting there and taking responsibility for, okay, I'm going to actually sit here and make a determination that we'll be checking in around employees getting paid properly and, and what's what's the basis for that. Another thing that I'm, I've seen a bit of late too is mm. classification of employees as award free. And this goes to being thoughtful and analytical and taking the necessary advice as, as you need it around what your employees are covered for by because you may well have an enterprise agreement or your client could have an enterprise agreement. Uh, and just because a particular type of work or occupation or type of person that you're hiring doesn't fall within your agreement, that doesn't automatically make that person more free. And it's unpacking how some of those decisions are made and often... Often my observation, my reflection would be that there's no clear answer to that, which leads me back to my observation at the very start that it leads to it's a corporate governance failure because it's not acceptable that businesses don't have a clear understanding of what each of their employees are being paid by, um, and that's the way we've always done it. It's obviously not acceptable. Yeah, absolutely. So when we last uh, chatted, uh, Linda, we, we were talking. You were talking about um, a, a trend towards self-disclosures. Talk me. Talk to me about that. Yes, we're seeing a, a number of companies coming forward of recent times where they have identified, be it within their own organisation themselves, someone internally in, in people, the people area, or in payroll, but more commonly an employee has raised a question or it's involved a sale of the business, for example, and it's been picked up as part of due diligence, uh, that companies are coming forward to say that they have um, underpaid their employees and they're wanting to disclose to us the fact that they have done that and make admissions around that and then also to talk through with us what steps are actually they're actually taking. My, my advice to any of your clients who may be in that situation, either themselves or advising others, is that if they're going to come to us, is to come to us early. Um, sometimes organisations will come to us right before uh, it's announced to the market or to the press. And the importance of engaging with the regulator early in a, in a genuine and constructive way is absolutely critical. I'd also advise any organisations in that situation one of the most important things you can do if you discover you do have a problem is to be upfront, honest and clear with your staff and their representatives, should they have them. And I'd note too that the community is increasingly expecting higher standards than what the legal minimum would be. So particularly for large organisations, we are now having some organisations coming forward who are looking to fix up underpayments and they're not relying on the statute of limitations. Uh, they're not... Um, they're offering to pay interest on back payments without a court order. Uh, in some instances where the sums are fairly significant, individual
individuals. They're offering to pay for those individuals to receive financial advice um, about what might be best for them to do to do right, with that okay. money, given in some circumstances that that might be um, you know a large sum of money that they could uh, do good things mm-hmm. with. And um, not not being overly technical in terms of how they might apply certain um, aspects of the law and, and very much taking a beneficial approach. And one positive observation I would make is that the organisations who are coming forward are paying close attention to what the other organisations are doing. So as more organisations are taking a more proactive and beneficial approach about how do they make good what they've, what's been done wrong for their employees as opposed to the minimum of what the law requires. Um, we're, we're, I'm seeing an increasing tendency for organisations to want to meet that standard, which is which is positive. When an organisation does come mm. forward to us, there's a couple of things which are um, absolute uh, requirements for our end, which is clearly prompt rectification of the underpayments, any underpayments to employees, including past employees, to their best efforts. And we also will focus on understanding what corporate governance failings have led to the contraventions when determining the appropriate outcome. Um, we, we understand that particularly for small businesses, applying some of the ap- applications of workplace laws can be tricky, depending on the small business operator's level of expertise in this area and what else they have going on. And we're, we're, we are empathetic to that. But for larger organisations who are well-funded, who have staff of... Um, payroll, they have staff in their finance area, they have HR advisors, they have lawyers, they have accountants. Um, Our our, our tolerance Mm -hmm. for corporate governance failings is low. Um, And is it acceptable that large corporations uh, would not turn their mind to ensuring that their staff are being paid appropriately? Uh, Well, we would say no to that. Um, that That's not okay. That the community yeah. has holds those organisations to a high standard, and and rightly so. So, as part of any of our investigations into those instances, we will always seek out the employee voice as well around how they have experienced what's happened, what why do they think that the issue has occurred, how is the organisation actually dealing with it, and they will be all factors which we will consider in deciding what compliance and enforcement outcome is, is appropriate. Okay. Uh, you know, lots of payroll managers now, um, payroll outsource providers, uh, bookkeepers more and more, have concerns about accessorial liability. Uh, sometimes an employer will say that, you know, to an outsource provider or a bookkeeper, you know, I'm paying you to do my payroll, this is how I want it done. Is there anything a payroll supplier or a bookkeeper can do to reduce their risk of being caught under Section 550 or if they suspect that they're incorrectly paying an employer uh, a client's employees? Uh, absolutely. Payroll, um, external payroll providers and bookkeepers provide a great opportunity to help their clients make sure that they're compliant with the law. And there's a couple of things that I would, I would say around that. Um, one is that um, when working with a client, it's important to understand the basis for which the, the client is saying that people should be paid. So, for example, as a bookkeeper, if they're being instructed by their client that the staff need to be paid X money, there are quite simple questions that can be asked around how did, how did, how did you come up with that, for example, uh, and often a question of, well, what industrial instrument 
covers the, your employees, so name the award or name the agreement, can sometimes very quickly cut through right to the fact does this particularly small business operator often, do they, do, they, do they know that? And if they don't know that, how can I help them understand that? Because there's a heap of resources available um, at fairwork.gov.au. We've got a packed our pay calculator that calculates all the pay rates and modern awards. There's many um, associations and industry organisations at Chambers that can can assist. But and it's not an option not to, would be what I would say as well. And you, you touched on accessorial liability under the Fair Work Act, which says that when an in, an, an individual is involved in uh, another individual or organisation contravening the law, they're effectively deemed to have participated in that contravention. And we have an, I have an example that I'll quickly take you through from a recent legal action where we took legal proceedings against um, Easy Accounting 123 Proprietary Limited and the Federal Circuit Court of Australia fined Easy Accounting just over $53,000 on the basis that flat rates have flat rates had pay had been paid to their by their client Blue Impression Proprietary Limited, but that Easy Accounting knew that the rates being paid to the employees were not correct, and that the judge commented that Easy Accounting was willfully blind to the underpayments and engaged in a deliberate shutting of the eyes or calculated that Easy Accounting had the information to know that the company was not meeting the award obligations but persisted with its payroll work with the inevitable result that the award breaches occurred. Um, that decision was appealed and the full federal court dismissed the appeal. And, and one of the reasons that we took this matter was that we had had previous um, interactions with the accounting firm in a historical interaction with the company as well. So there was no dispute from our perspective, which we put to the court, that the company was aware that they had all the relevant information to know what should have been paid and that it was not lawfully being paid. Um, the defence was put before the court that we don't question the pay rate, we don't raise questions, we just process what we're given. And the court was abundantly clear that ignorance is not a defence. So that is an important mm -hmm. point, I think, particularly for bookkeepers and payroll providers, that if you are aware and the benefit of being a multi-service provider, you will hopefully have most clients who are compliant. So you'll have a usually have a good readout when you have a, you're dealing with a non-compliant business because why are their labour rates so much cheaper than your other customers that you're servicing, for example? If you've got people paying penalty rates of $25, $30 an hour in one type of business and you've got someone else running the same kind of business and they're paying people $15 an hour, that raises questions. Never mind $15 an hour, clearly no one should be getting unless they're a junior in some circumstances. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's an opportunity for bookkeepers and payrolls to step in. And if they don't, they certainly run the risk of an accessorial liability case being brought against them. Uh, around three quarters of the matters which we've taken to court of recent times have involved accessorial liability. And one of the analogies... Wow, is that right? Yes. So one of the analogies that we draw, I would draw, is so bookkeepers and payroll providers, anyone involved in finance would be very well aware of the financial reporting around transactions around $10,000. That would be quite clear. Um, mm -hmm. And Austrack requirements for a whole range of reasons around organised crime and terrorism and the like. So if you had a client coming in every week wanting to move around $9,999 of money 
as a as someone working yeah. in that industry, as a professional, you would be saying, oh, "I'm not comfortable. There's something untoward." Well, you'd question you would question it, wouldn't you? You would question it. So, and it is a tough. I accept that, and I understand that when you're running, particularly small business, if you have these conversations with your client, and your client says, "Oh, too bad. Just get back on with it," or "I'll take my business down the road." That's really hard, but you can't profit from unlawful behaviour, which is what it comes down to. So if, a, if you know a client is pay, underpaying their employees and you're continuing to process that payroll, you're effectively profiteering from the employees being underpaid. And one reflection I have, having worked in this space for a very long time now too, is businesses who are underpaying their employees, their business structure can often be like a house of cards. So if if the business is underpaying and devaluing its employees and deliberately doing so because you've had a conversation with them and they've told you to mind your own business, um, what are they going to do to you at some point when money's tight? If you're providing Mm -hmm. them with services, if they're happy to cheat their employees, down the track you may be the person that's on the receiving end of that when you're not paying your accounts and they're not paying your bills or they're all sorts of things like that as well. So, um, But the, the short of it is if you are involved in payroll and in any capacity and that you know that there's underpayments occurring, you cannot be part of that. And that, that's hard and we're here yeah. to help. And if, if someone does find themselves in that situation, please don't hesitate to call our info line on 13 13 94 and we can talk you through some strategies about how you might um, approach that. Um, but you do need to find your professional voice around those issues. Yeah, and I think I love you can't profit from unlawful behaviour. It's black and white, isn't it? I mean, and so what you're suggesting is if there was no, say, um, taking that part-timer situation where as a payroll manager or as a payroll outsource provider, I know that they should be paid uh, overtime rates from whatever their contracted hours is, uh, over contracted hours, and if the employer, I might even advise the employer and say, did you know that you know you need to pay Barry after the 22 hours it is contracted, any extra hours at overtime rates, and the employer says, too bad, that's we're not paying overtime until he's worked mm-hmm. 38. I guess that puts the payroll outsourcer and or the payroll manager or the bookkeeper in a position where they just have to choose whether they are going to continue to profit from unlawful behaviour or whether they just need to go find a new job or a that's new client. Right. And, that, and is that the kind of client that you want um, as well? And there's a couple, in a practical yeah. way, there's a few ways that you could approach that. One would be um, putting things in writing. That's the kind of thing that we look at when we go into, because so if an employee complains uh, and someone, an employer is using a payroll company or a bookkeeper, and I'm, I'm not talking about genuine mistakes here, I'm talking about the other end of the spectrum, they will surely, they, they will blame sure. their advisors. We see that quite often. We, we were doing what we were told. We, we, mm-hmm. That's what they told us to pay. We, we thought paying $10 an hour was okay um, and put aside the fact that that's clearly not okay. Um, so putting stuff in writing becomes really important. So if you have that conversation with your client, um, either internally, your internal clients, if you work in payroll in an organisation or if you're providing payroll or bookkeeping services um, or advice services externally uh, and you're giving that advice that, you know, we think, you know, Bob should get paid X then you and they're not responding to that you would be very well very well advised to put that in writing to them to make it very clear that you have advised them what they need to do and then then as you know if you're if you're in a contracting relationship then you make need to make that decision about what you do moving forward around that particular 
that. Sure. Um, if you're an internal person, if you're working in payroll, for example, in a company, you're an employee and it's your employer who's um, underpaying the other the other employees, I would um, there's a couple of things that I would encourage. One is that particularly in larger organisations, there is usually uh, an ethics or a risk or a governance framework in which you can raise concerns and you should um, you should explore your options in that space. Um, the HR is often obviously a good resource. And, and again, we always remind, remain willing and able to help with some of this advice about how to, how to approach these sorts of things. But again, making it clear that you've given your advice uh, is, is, really, is a really important one. We litigate around 30 to 50 matters per year and the way that I would describe it is you have to try quite hard to end up in that bucket. Right. So if you have, you have, if you're an internal payroll provider, advisor, for example, and you don't, so we don't litigate people who make genuine mistakes. Um, so if, if you're an internal payroll provider to your organisation and you've done everything under the sun to escalate, to notify and to escalate and try and manage the issue and get to the attention of the senior people in the organisation and you've continued, you've escalated it as far as you can as opposed to as far as you might be comfortable to because they're two different things, where you're not going to be the kind of person that we're interested in dragging to court. So, and this is where people can be um, thoughtful about how they, when they do come across issues, how they actually approach that as well. That's true. I think, um, you know, if anything, uh, certainly what I would say to our clients is to actually engage you early um, yes. because you've said, you've said several times in this conversation that you're there to help. Just call the helpline, you're there to help. And I think a lot of employers think, oh, the minute I put the flag up the flagpole at Fair Work, I'm going to be, you know, uh, I'm going to be in trouble. And I'm getting... I'm getting the impression from you that that's not necessarily the case. If they're doing the right thing, they should probably just keep you abreast of what they are doing and how they are working to fix the issues. That That's right. And, and if anything, a, a late disclosure tends to raise more questions than an earlier disclosure. And... If you if you come to the if you come to us late in the piece and around having identified an issue and having fixed it, obviously that's great that you're fixing it. But we still we will still dive into why did the contraventions happen in the first place. Um, so it's not that by disclosing late in the piece with a bow tied on top that you get a leave pass. That's not the it's not the case at all. Um, so it's much it's much better to come earlier because. Sometimes if there's complexity around award interpretation, we can assist with that. It also goes into the genuineness of the engagement and the self-disclosure with us as their regulator. And one of the first questions I would ask any organisation making a disclosure is what's your motivation in disclosing this to us? Mm. Uh, and there's different motivations depending on the spectrum of time in which... Um, so if an organisation's figured out they've made a mistake and they want to fix it up quick, smart, and they need some help to do that and want to make sure that we're understanding that, that can be quite a different prism to an organisation potentially coming to us very late in the piece around, you know, how they might be messaging, um, putting out messages to the community effectively. Sure. We do uh, some audits for enforceable undertakings and uh, one of our clients who has, I think, been in a perfect example of how to manage, you know, you find a problem, you fix it, you you know, put your hand up and then you, you, you know, continue to be audited as necessary. He said to me one day, he said, you know, um, 
it was all a fairly painless process. We realised the mistake. You know, we worked with uh, Fair Work and it was all fine. But he said they did take a particular, they were particularly interested in when we, the length of time between when we found out that we had a, a problem to when we actually fixed the problem. So I think that's yeah. a lesson too. Absolutely. And and if you do discover that your staff, your client staff have, have been underpaid, it is it is only right and proper that the people get paid back as quickly as possible. And, you know, and that means quick smart because those employees have been deprived the benefit of money to which they're entitled to. And that can impact in a whole range of different ways around people's personal circumstances and finances and bills that they might not have been able to pay or investments that they might not have been able to make or choices and a whole range of different things. You're talking about real money for real people and um, it's not proper that a company should hold on to that any longer than they already have when they should have underpaid in the first place. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that that brings me on to something else that I've been thinking of. You know, for those of us in payroll, we, we know that, you know, modern awards are changing all the time. At least once or twice a week I'll get a message uh, automated message from your website saying that something's changed in an award. I'm interested to understand from your point of view, for changes that are made quite quickly or without much warning, such as the recent change in the casual rates of pay for the for the retail sector, how forgiving is uh, the Fair Work Ombudsman to employers who haven't caught up? In other words, what's a reasonable time frame for employers to make the, the changes? I think there's, there's a range of support and advice that's available for employers, not only through us, but also through their own, um, their accountants, their trusted advisors, their industry associations and, and chambers. So we would obviously be pragmatic about um, people when there's a change coming around. We will always turn to education and resolution as a, as a first option in terms of helping businesses get on the right course. So it, mm-hmm. it really depends on the degree of time and also other things going on in a business. So if you, if you had a sure. business who potentially you know, missed missed one particular change but were you know getting everything else right well that, that that's a different context to a, another organization that hasn't picked up on that change but nor are they doing anything else right either um annual wage mm-hmm. review would be a contrast i guess because you are employing people now um, over many years now there is an established practice that generally speaking there's an annual wage review in july each year and mm-hmm. there's many sure. changes receive information about that it makes quite broadly the mainstream press we have alerts on our own website at fairwork.gov.au you can get industry alerts and the like so an organization missing that you know we would be less less understanding of Um, but it it all comes in terms of the broader context which to what extent is there robust uh, running of a business effectively Uh, and it's one of the challenges particularly in the small business side of sector sometimes people Often people will go into a small business because they're good at something or they're passionate about something or they've got a great idea that they want to take to, take to market and give a go. Um, but the running a business is very different to the business of what you're in. So you can be an amazing hairdresser and not great at running a business in terms of the record keeping or the, you know, the forward planning and the business planning and the like. And, you know, we even see issues sometimes with accountants. So you can't kind of pick one industry that um, that people mm. are going to be better at than others. But it is a skill to run a business. There are a lot of free resources that are available, not only through us on 
the ATO's website at ato.gov.au. There's business.gov.au that's almost it's like a portal for businesses to understand a whole range of government resources uh, that are available. Um, there's many great software providers now around that help businesses run their business and small business um, advisors and cha- uh, commissioners in the different states and, and territories as well who are available available to help. So I think it's it's as much about businesses understanding that they are running a business and with that comes wonderful opportunity um, and great autonomy often, but also comes with the responsibilities and obligations as well. Yeah, of course. I don't know whether you caught last night on the 7.30 report, and it's in today's ABC Press as well, reports of three uh, current and former Merivale employees who are complaining because they haven't been paid penalty rates on the weekends or, or other loadings based on an agreement from 2007, which expired in 2012. This is a perfectly legitimate approved industrial instrument, but I guess as time goes on, Merivale will employ people who are getting used to getting penalty rates elsewhere and then they go work for um, Merivale and, and, and don't get them. So, um, you know, one of the employees has made an application to terminate the agreement with the Fair Work Commission. How many of these are pre-modern award agreements do you think exist anymore? Because I think it is, it, it can cause confusion in, in the workforce. I think that there's a couple of things. I can't talk to the, the numbers um, exactly in terms of how many might um, still be operating. But one of the things that I think businesses can factor on, which you, you hit the nail on the head there, is... If you're running a business and you want your employees to feel valued and you want to get the best employees that you can, you want to be a competitive employer. Um, You want your employees Mm -hmm. to want to work for you um, and part of that is uh, being competitive in the marketplace to try and attract the best employees, obviously, that you you can. Uh, And one of the challenges, I think, you know, reality is that if you've got one business next door who's paying certain rates and you've got another business next door paying lower rates, well then the employees, the better employees might be more attracted to go and work at the at the other organisation. So it comes down to I think the relationship that employers have with their employees and what sort of culture do they want to build within their organisation as well. And and I would say too that around all of the legal obligations around workplace and rules, they set the minimums. There's no maximum that you can pay your employees. There, there is, of course, sure. in a practical sense. Um, but the, the, the legal minimums that we talk about, be it under a, an older agreement or a wage or a modern award or an enterprise agreement, that sets the minimum of what you need to pay. Um, there's nothing prescribing you from paying more than that should you choose to. So, And often we do see that, pleasingly, that businesses are recognising the contribution that an employee or employees are making or, you know, they're trying to be in, in the market uh, and so that they're choosing to pay above and beyond what the, the bare minimum of what they need to what they need to pay. Um, but it is it is I think it's important around communication and understanding with your staff and, and also having channels within your organisation, depending on the size. So creating an environment where employees can come and talk to you if they feel like there is an issue. And that issue could be they think they're getting underpaid and that may or may not be true or they have an issue with their manager or something that they're having to do, well, they've got an idea. And this is the example I come to. Sure. Your employees can be some of the best source of innovation and growth for your business. So if if your employees don't feel that they can come to you or your managers in your organisation to raise concerns, well, in some ways you're closing off um, the 
potential and great ideas and innovations down the track because those same people are going to be much less likely to be thinking of ideas to help you grow your business and um, you want open lines of communication both for where there is an issue and also just ideas about business development and better client better client service. Uh, in my, from my perspective, where, where I see it working really well is where you've got healthy, constructive communications that are flowing both ways in organisations and that's not to say that there's never any problems in those kind of organisations. Sometimes there are but they're um, they're brought to the attention early, they're articulated constructively and they're they're rectified appropriately or or acted on as well. And we've invested quite a bit in our online resources in helping navigate some of this work. We've got some online courses dealing specifically with the range of these issues available at fairwork.gov, including having difficult conversations both from an employee raising an issue and to managers or employers responding to issues as well, right down to performance management and from both ends of the spectrum, how do you manage performance that's uh, not what you'd like it to be and also how do you encourage to get the best out of your good employees as well. Mm, getting that sort of safe environment, if you like, for feedback either way, right. if it's good or bad. That's exactly right, because those kind of healthy work, those healthy workplaces, we talk sometimes about workplace health, that healthy workplaces are the ones where you can have honest, constructive conversations about performance, about paying conditions, about ideas, and your employees feel safe and supported, and, and, and indeed the business feels that the employees, are, everyone's pulling in the same direction. Now, Belinda, I'm super conscious of your time. You've been extremely generous. Um, I just wondered if I could uh, ask you one more thing. There's something that I've, uh, before we finish up, I noticed recently, I think it's Sally McManus, who's the head of the ACTU, came out recently to say that um, the FWO needs union assistance to make prosecutions or something along those lines. What do you make of that? And what's your view of, uh, of the union's role in enforcement, in enforcement of these matters? The, the Fair Work Act provides standing for a range of people to take um, uh, litigation action should they choose, and, and we're not the only ones. So um, the law as it stands at the moment provides for, you know, the Fair Work Ombudsman or Fair Work Inspectors to take legal action for things like underpayments. It also provides standing for employees and it also provides standing for uh, registered organisations as well, which would include include unions. I think Australia has a, a sort of a proud history of a tripartite uh, industrial relations or workplace relations system, and I think that there's many contributions that all of the players in the space in this particular space can particularly make. And the, the Fair Work Ombudsman has a you know a number of different Fair Work inspectors right across the country. We're in. 21 um, different officers, 20 officers across the country that we can service the community. We've got our website that has 16 million visits a year and the like. So, and, and that's not to say that registered organisations don't play have a role to play. They definitely do. Um, in the same way unions have an important role to play, so do business organisations and, and chambers who can advise businesses on what to do. I think what we all want is that uh, employers to feel supported as they understand what their obligations are and so they can grow their business. And employees, if they do have a concern, can go to whoever they feel comfortable with to help resolve their issue. And if, if that's ideally that's their, in their workplace, if they don't feel comfortable to do that or that's not practical, they can either come to us if they're a member of a union then they can go to the union. Um, but as long as 
the relevant people are getting the help that they need, be that an employer and employer, there's 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 a role for everybody. Sure. Um, look, thank you so much for your time. I mean, there's, there's certainly no point in having uh, workplace laws without a regulator to enforce them. So thank you for um, your insights. It's super valuable to our audience, I know. Um, I guess anyone who wants, who has issues, perhaps best to jump on the Fair Work website or the ATO website, depending on what the issue is, uh, and, and, and start the process from there. Um, but I really wanted to thank you for your, for your time and being so generous with, uh, w- with your answers today. Oh, thank you so much, Tracy, and thank you for holding these conversations. I think it's the more kind of conversations like this we can have, the better. Um, in addition to our um, request for assistance that you can process through our website, we also have an on- anonymous reports, uh, anonymous reporting functionality through our website where if people have concerns about either something that's happened to them or a friend or things that they've observed out in the community uh, that they wanted to raise but they wanted to do that anonymously, they're welcome to do that and you can find that link at fairwork.gov.au. But thank you for your time today, Tracy. Brilliant. Thanks so much. See you soon. Thanks. Hi, this is Tracy. I hope you enjoyed that last episode of Talking Payroll. If you've got any comments or questions, please email them to us at podcast at ostpayroll.com.au. And look, if there's anyone that you'd love to hear on this podcast or someone that you think that I just have to interview, and maybe that's even you, please let us know by emailing podcast at ostpayroll.com.au. That's podcast at austpayroll.com.au. I'm really looking forward to having you listen again next time I'm talking payroll. <laughs>